So he asked me if I thought I could save it, and I thought, well, you know, if I can, I don't have to convince somebody else to hire me to direct the play. <laughs> it's a beautiful theater. It's 15 miles so, from my house. So you I, saved Delaware Theater Company so that you could live your dream of creating plays. That's about it, yes. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, and today on Pod County, we're going to be talking to the Delaware Theater Company's Bud Martin, although not to be the Delaware Theater Company's Bud Martin for much longer, as Bud is calling it a career. Bud will be retiring at the end of this run of what it will be his last show, One Man, Two Governors, at the Delaware Theater Company after over a decade uh, at the helm of the Delaware Theater Company. Bud's got a great background that runs through theater and business and Broadway. Really, really interesting guy to, to talk to and, and to hear you know, what his background and, and how it brought him to Wilmington and to our local theater production group. So if you are a fan of the theater, if you're a fan of great individuals, Bud is a fantastic listen. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Pod County. Can you, can you tell, what, we haven't gone on yet, right? I mean, we're recording, but I'll edit. Are you able to tell, I want to hear, like, I, th I find our podcast is the best when people tell war stories. Things like oh, okay. in your years where the guy fell off the stage or didn't show up or the politician used drugs on stage or whatever. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> I don't know, before we get into a war story, maybe we should introduce Bud Martin to our listeners. Let's go. We haven't done that. So, hey, uh, welcome to Pot County. Uh, this is a little chaotic this morning, but we've got four people in here, so it's going to get a little little rough. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham. We're joined today by uh, Bud Martin from the Delaware Theater Company, and we've also got Communications Director Brian Cunningham and County Hi. Executive Matt Meyer in the studio as well to just make everything run smoothly. That's that's the aim of this. Uh, County Executive, you you had a request for Bud. Do you, now, do you want to take it away? Well, first I want to hear about Bud. This is, this is someone who quickly has become a stalwart, sort of a, a, a leader in the theater scene and the art scene in Delaware. You certainly have tremendous perspective after your years of bringing us extraordinary shows. Uh, first of all, thank you for everything that you've, you've done to really grow the impact and the, the, the community benefit we've all received from, from Delaware Theater Company. Well, thanks a lot for that. It's, it's been wonderful for me, too, so I appreciated the opportunity. So one thing I've learned in preparing for this podcast is that you have not always been a thespian. You're a thespian <laughs> slash investment banker, and I don't know if I can say that about anyone. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey that ended up with you coming to us at Delaware Theater Company? Sure. Um, well, I graduated from college and grad school with degrees in theater, and I got out of, um, when I finished grad school, I was actually teaching here in Wilmington at Del, Del Castle Technical School. I ran the theater program there. And then I was starting to direct um, professionally, but I could really only do it during the summers because of teaching, so I left teaching to direct professionally. In those days, we didn't have much in the way of regional theater, so most of that was in New York. And... You know, I'd get paid $1,000 a show to direct a show, and you could only really do about five or six a year, and that was half of what I was making teaching. So I was, you know, I joke about the fact that my kids were getting a little skinny, so I got into investment banking. But 
people say, how did you do that? And I said, well, I played one on TV, so I got hired. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was a great opportunity for me, and I, I worked for a firm in Philly for two years, and then three of us left and started our own firm for a few years, and then I got tired of just doing transactions and wanted to build things, so I was fortunate to start four different companies, three of which I got public and one of which was private, but all, all of them have, had either become public and I decided to leave for a professional manager and, um, or we sold them. I always say that, the, that producing and directing a play is very much like starting and building a company. It's the same process. I mean, you have the idea, you gotta develop your business plan, which is your script. You gotta find the right management team, which is your cast. And you got to be able to finance it, and you have to be able to sell it, sell tickets, sell your services, or whatever. So it was the same process, and I, I really missed the theater, and I wanted to get back as soon as I could, and I was finally in the position that I didn't have to worry about supporting my kids because they were supporting theirs. And, um, <laughs> and um, I sold my last company to Walgreens in 2008, and the day after we settled, I was directing a show again. And um, the way I got back was really, I directed a show in Philadelphia that my old college roommate had written, and one of the doctors who worked for me said, he had no idea I had an interest in theater. He was on the board of a, of, of a little theater outside of Philadelphia called Act Two Playhouse. He said, we're really in trouble. Do you think you can help me try to save it? So I went to a board meeting, and the, you know, the managing director presented the financials, and he was very proud of his budget variance report because all of his expenses were within budget. And I said, yeah, but there's this thing called revenue. <laughs> <coughs> and, um, and that was way off. And he said, well, that's the board's problem. And I said, oh, well, then I guess I don't want to be on the board. <laughs> so they convinced me to come in and, and take it over, and he was the first guy I terminated. And, um, <laughs> <coughs> and, um, and I was, you know, I learned very quickly that small nonprofit theaters don't know how to live within their means, many of them, and um, they rely very heavily on donations, but, you know, you can't really build a business that way. So I, I took over Act Two, and within a couple of years, it became profitable again. And and I was going to, I was going to leave so that I could direct more outside of Act Two. When um, I produced a show on Broadway called Time Stand Still with Laura Linney, and I wanted to direct it at Act Two, but I wanted to do it as a co-production with somebody. And the Philadelphia theaters were somewhat competitive audience-wise, so I I called down here to the my predecessor actually and asked if if. DTC would be a co-producing partner with us. And she said yes. So so, so a co-producing partner means they pay for it? They, they front the money? You split the costs. You split the costs. So any, anything that, you know, if you have a three-week rehearsal period, you rehearse, one theater pays half the rehearsal cost, the other theater pays the other half of the rehearsal cost. You pay the designers and the directors, they get, if, if it's a if it's a co-production for two theaters, they get about 150% of the normal fare, but you split it. And then the performances that take place at each theater, you collect your own box offices and you keep the box offices. So it's, it's economically beneficial. I see um, you split the costs and then you have your own revenue stream. Right. So I was doing the show um, here and chairman of the board at the time told me that, that they were really concerned about the financial status of the theater and that they had the box office had really dropped off and they were thinking of closing the theater and just running the education programs until they could raise enough money to reopen the theater and I said well if you close the theater who's going to give you money to reopen it so he asked me if I thought I could 
save it, and I thought, well, you know, if I can, I don't have to convince somebody else to hire me to direct the play. <laughs> it's a beautiful theater. It's 15 miles so, from my house. So you I, saved Delaware Theater Company so that you could live your dream of creating plays. That's about it, yes. <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm, I've been living... You had that dream. Yeah, it's true. Yep. And you've been living, you're saying you've been living that dream? I have. Uh, you know, it, it was a, a struggle at first. I remember m my wife shared with me a story. We had um, dinner one night before a show with Jack and Carla Markell, and I got up to use the restroom, and Jack said to Kate, um, well, how are things going? She said, he's really afraid that this might be the first time he fails. <laughs> <laughs> I came back to the table, and Jack said, you know, what can I do to help you? And they got behind us, and Secretary Jeff Bullock got behind us, and, you know, Jack would come to the shows, have a picture taken and post with the cast and post it, and we would get a burst in ticket sales. The Delaware Division of the Arts is, became very, very supportive of the theater. And I think, you know, Wilmington got to be very much behind what we were doing. The, the real turning point for us was when we did Diner, a good friend of mine was trying to develop Diner. His wife was directing and choreographing, and he asked me if we might be, if, if they could try the show out at our place. And Barry Levinson wrote the script because he had written the movie, and he had convinced Cheryl Crow to write the score. So Barry and Cheryl were going to be working here in Wilmington. We were able to get a grant to help do the show. Who we gave you the grant? Do you remember? Longwood Foundation. Uh-huh. Um, it was a very expensive show for us, but we got a grant. The producer put up additional money. We did a fundraiser with Barry and Cheryl and raised additional money. The show cost us a million dollars. Wow. We did $400,000 in ticket sales. And the year that I, I came in, the end of the 2012 season, and they had done 330000 in ticket sales for the year. And we did a million dollars in ticket sales that year, and Diner was, I think, a strong component of of all of a sudden, people waking up and realizing Delaware Theatre Company was someplace special. It was a fully automated production, so when the, when the curtain went up and the, you saw the diner, the front of the diner opened, all the banquettes moved downstage, the ceiling flew off. We always got an applause because nobody had seen anything like that in Wilmington. <laughs> and Cheryl was around. I mean, she was, you know, people came to the theater to try. We always had to say on the telephone when people called, no, she's not in the play. She wrote the music. <laughs> But she'd be hang she would be... She'd be around. She was at rehearsal. She came to shows. We had um, the Schubert organization came down to see the show. I called her. She was in Nashville. I called her and asked her if she could come up and, and be with them, and she did. She got, got on a plane and came up and had lunch with them before they saw a matinee, and she was great, and she and Barry were both really great about promotion. And, and so why did they want to do it here? Well, the old... Because of Bud. <laughs> well, there's, thank you. Um, some of it was that because we, we, I have, you know, I have relationships with a lot of Broadway producers because I've, I've produced a bunch of Broadway shows and some of the shows on the West End. And I think one of the things that I love to do is develop new musicals. And one of the way in which we could establish a real niche about doing that was the tryout, the, the old days of shows trying out at the Playhouse and you know, out-of-town tryouts. They don't exist anymore because it's too expensive. So producers look for a strong regional theater that has the resources to actually put the play on. Now, they'll also n know that they have to enhance the budget for that show. So what we do is we, we budget the show, and we say, this is what we think we can do in ticket sales, and you have to put up the rest of the money. 
and they do that. And it allows us to put on a very, very big um, production that we couldn't normally afford to do. But importantly, if the show does move on and has a professional life, and, and if, especially if it goes to Broadway, we get a residual from having been one of the developing theaters. So we could get a royalty on that show. So um, at Diner, you got a residual as it moved on to other... Well, it hasn't moved on, which is unfortunate. It, it was, I know Cheryl was very upset about it, but Barry Levinson, I think, just lost interest because it had been so many years and they had done readings and rewrites and all of that, and he just, you know, he wasn't financially motivated, so he just felt that... Yeah, he was good. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> do, you know no, the, do you know the movie, Matt? Diner, of course, yeah. yeah. Big Baltimore Colts. Uh. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things we had to do for Barry when he came to town was he wanted a list of all the local diners because he wants to have breakfast in a diner every morning. Wow. So <laughs> it's his personal passion. Yeah. But we got reviewed by the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I think all of a sudden that put DTC on the on the map. I remember coming back from New York on the train the day we got reviewed, and I was reading the review on the train, and Thayer DuPont called me and said, we got reviewed in the New York Times. I said, I know. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out whether it's good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, well, who cares? We got reviewed. And, and, publicity. We, and we had such a burst in ticket sales from that. And then it really, I think, let people know that we, you know, there's not much we can't do. What's, what's the house? Do you find out before a theater critic is coming that they're in in the house or like what's what's the what's the feel what's the vibe when somebody finds out a New York Times theater critic is in the well, house? Well, we don't let the cast know, right? But we do. Um, they usually yes, because we have to reserve them good seats. Right. We give them a press package, so we know when they're coming. But for the most part, the cast does not want to know. I mean, there's. You know, Broadway has a little different model because they usually will invite critics in for the last week of previews. You have a preview period and a performance period, and they invite critics in. So most of the time the cast knows it's likely to be a critic in the audience. Then you have your official opening, and, they and as soon as that show closes, they release the reviews. We try to have three previews and then an opening night where we invite the press. Now, that's gotten to be a lot fewer people these days because most newspapers aren't doing reviews anymore, so they're they're mostly the online services that come. That night, the, uh, the cast knows that the press is in there, but it's also the night that, you know, the cast invites all their friends. So <laughs> we have, you know, a very favorable audience. Friendly audience. But, yeah. uh, but this all sounds like a lot of fun. You spent 20 years in the theater, 10 years, then investment banking, and now 10 years at Delaware Theater Company. Why, why retire? Well, I'm not intending to just, you know, sit back and put my feet up. I have to make sure I'm careful about how I word this in case my wife's listening. But um, <laughs> I, you know, my life has always been about me. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm doing this. I can't do that. And because I'm doing this, I can't do that. Um, I'm in my 70s now. My kids are, my grandkids are graduating from college, and all I've done is work. And she's wanted to travel and do other things. And we did a little traveling this past summer, and I saw how important it was to her. And and then I went to my 50th year reunion from college, and I was asked to read the memorial section for all of our deceased classmates, all of whom were friends of mine. And I started thinking about, you know, there's other things that I need to be doing and paying attention to. I still want to direct. I, I, I want to be able to, you know, do a show every once in a while, but I need to pay attention to, pay more attention to family, travel with her, and, um, and that's why I'm retiring. But it's also because 
it's the right time for me to retire at Delaware Theater Company. We've got a really strong team. Matt Silva, who I brought on about four or five years ago, hoping that he might be able to be my successor one day, has exceeded my expectations. The, sh the theater is in decent financial shape, finally. We don't have to worry about where the next pay you know, meal's gonna come from. Um, so we've got a strong team with a great leader and it's financially stable and I feel like this is the time to step away and let, the, let them run it. I mean, they have a lot of responsibility. I thought it was time to give them the authority and you know, they're already talking to me about what show I'm gonna direct next year. So it's not like I'm you know, going off into the sunset, but it's just that um, they, they, they deserve the opportunity to run the theater. And we got one coming up. We right? do. What's one, just, man, one man, two governors. That's right. It's a great comedy farce. Um, it, in, it actually introduced James Corden to the American audience because it was done originally at the National Theater in London and then played on the West End and then it came to Broadway. And when I saw it on Broadway, I don't remember ever laughing so hard um, and thought one of these days I'm gonna do that show. And since this was the year I was intending to sort of pass the baton at the end of the year, I figured I better do that show. Um, no, they can't. If it goes bad, they can't fire you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, but I have a great cast. I was able to pick, you know, most of the people in the show I've, I've worked with over the years, so I was able to get the, the funniest people that I could find. I did a play a number of years ago. It was actually in the same season we did Diner called The Explorers Club. And it was it was a very, very funny show. And the, one of the cast members of that show called me and said, hey, do you think we can get the Explorers Club cast together to do One Man, Two Governors? So we do have a few of that cast in the in the show. But it's about a guy who, who tries to, you know, hold two jobs to get extra money because he's, you know, constantly starving and he's trying to get food. And he's balancing the act of trying to, it's based on an old Commedia dell'arte play called um, The Servant of Two Masters. It's been updated by uh, Richard Bean, who's a British writer, to take place in the 1960s. A real-life Mr. Bean? Uh, not that Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> a real-life Mr. Bean. A real-life Mr. Bean, yes. But, uh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I've had friends joke about how in the Zoom world you could, you know, how, how are we sure that people aren't, hold, when you're paying them by the hour, how do we know they don't have three windows open on their computer and they're on three zoom calls taking down three pay paychecks because it's time. in delaware and somebody will find out yeah, well, speaking of zoom you know the big thing that we've had to worry about in the last couple of years is covid mm. and we sort of thought we were on the other side of it and we still have a lot of protocols especially for try to keep the actors healthy but right before we started rehearsal our male lead came down with it and so therefore he had a stay home for five days and then when he did come, he tested negative and he came, he had to wear a mask. But for, so he missed the first week of rehearsal, which I was going crazy, how can we not have him? So we got a stand in and he watched rehearsals on Zoom and took notes and would move around in his basement while he was watching. And he, when, when he came back, he walked right into rehearsal like he'd been there all the time. <laughs> so, so he only had one job. He wasn't working two jobs. That's right. <laughs> and that's, that's going to be a tough, physically demanding role because he said there's a lot of pratfalls, there's a lot of comic fighting. Yep, there are. It's The first thing I did when we decided to do the show was find a guy who was um, really, really skilled at how people could fall and fight and... Um, and do because there's so many, so much of it in the show that I thought you know the last thing we need to do is get somebody hurt, falling downstairs, all that kind of stuff. So we I hired a guy named John Belomo from who teaches at Westchester University, but he's a certified fight director and does a lot of you know pratfalls for physical comedy and stuff. And 
we've been rehearsing with mats up in the room so that we, you know, until people really learn how to do the falls. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Alfred Yuri, the playwright. He oh, did yeah. Driving Miss Daisy, and I, I heard him speak once, and he said that uh, he, for years, was trying to get anything he wrote up on stage. I think it was a small theater uh, somewhere in the middle of the country. He finally got it up. And uh, opening night, the theater caught on fire and have it burned down. So I just think oh of that. God. We don't want that on the <laughs> other side. He said nobody got hurt, but it was sort of an auspicious beginning. I think they, yeah, I think a few nights later they, did they it in started the parking lot that night. Okay, yeah. guys, we got the light from the fire, and we're just going <laughs> to Yeah, and then he became in. a renowned American playwright off that launch. Sure. So you, on the other hand, we don't want on the tail end for this anything to go right to go wrong in but the fight. The, when does the show open? It starts performances February 1st. And runs for how long? Runs till February 19th. Three weeks. Fantastic. Six performances per week. Wow. Fantastic. It's a heavy schedule. It's a great schedule. Yes. We start, we'll go into, we'll do our first run through for designers tomorrow and um, get into tech next week. I'll get on the stage on Tuesday. um, So we get on the set for the first time. It's the biggest non-musical we've ever done in terms of physical production too. So lots of scenery, lots of things flying in and out. And uh, the prop masters will be busy. Oh, prop masters are very busy. (laughs) So what, what makes a great director? What, t- tell me about some of the, the, the secrets in your success. I think, first of all, it's casting. If you don't have the right people, no matter how good you are, you're not going to get it. It's so I've been very fortunate to almost always have a great cast. I remember watching some Gene Hackman be interviewed one time, and he said um, 80% of directing is casting, and it's at least 80%. So I think the first thing is you got, you really got to cast it right. And we were in rehearsals. John Belomo said to me, he said, man, you have a good cast here. And I said, thank goodness, because I think that's the first thing. I think the other thing is um, you got to be a good collaborator. You know, during COVID, I watched a lot of the master classes, and I watched a master class of Ron Howard, and I thought, good on you, because what he, he really talked about collaboration, and you don't go sit down with a bunch of designers and say, this is what I want, or what I think it should be. You sit down and say, well, tell me your thoughts. What do you think it should be? And then the same thing with actors. I mean, in this play, because it's a farce, I do have to do a, a lot of the staging, and there's a lot of people, so you've got to make sure that the composition is right on the stage and focuses where it needs to be and so forth. But as it relates to performances, I rely heavily on the actor's instincts, and you know, we have a policy that whoever has the best idea in the room wins, and I think the best shows are, are the best collaborations, and the really good directors are collaborators with their teams, so it's a matter of getting the right team in place. What do, you, what do you do on show night? Where are you? Usually relaxed. I joke about the fact that, you know, I used to be a steeplechase jockey back in my <laughs> when I was young enough to do it. On the day of the race, it's up to the horse. <laughs> so if you've trained him right, you know, he's going to hopefully deliver for you. And it's the same thing with the actors. So I'm, I'm not usually nervous on opening. P- first preview, yeah. But I usually, you know, we'll go to dinner before the show with some friends that are coming to see the show, and then I go backstage to see the cast before the show, and and then afterwards we, you know, take a big sigh of relief. And, and you're back at it the next day. Back at it, yeah. Do you, do you have any superstitions? No, not really. No? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> you don't brush your teeth on one side of the mouth and then the other side? Tell me this, bud. If I have a choice of three different plays to see, the first play is extraordinarily well written. It has terrible actors and a terrible director. 
the second play is awfully written, has amazing actors and a terrible director. And the third play has terrible written, terrible actors and an amazing director. Which play should I see? I'd go with the second one, the um, one that has great actors. Now, I might, I mean, I would say that to you. I might want to go see the play that's really well written, that's badly acted and directed because... Then you can take it to Delaware Theatre Company <laughs> and do it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you cast it the right way. Right. No, I think, you know, it, it always, I think it always comes down to the cast. Like I say in a race, you know, it comes down to the horse, um, you know, but... Um, it's, it comes down to the cast, and I think if they're working well together, and a lot of times, you know, people have told me that they've been in a show, and the show um, did really well, but the director was just not uh, up to it. Um, it. It's because the cast all got together, and they worked together, and they delivered a good performance, so. Despite the director. Despite the director. Is yeah. there a particular genre or style that you prefer? Is it comedy, drama, musical, musical comedy? I mean, do you have kind of a sweet spot that's for you you have more fun with? You might not consider it fun. I mean, people like to be entertained for the most part when they come to the theater. So I, we try to program comedy, drama, and you know, musicals so that there's something for everybody. As a director, I really like a serious play that deals with some real character conflict because I love exploring that and love exploring the you know the behavior of that and to peel away the layers to see what's driving that person the way they are there are a couple of plays I did here that I think changed me personally there was a play called um, white guy on the bus it dealt with racism and it dealt with white privilege and it was a very serious play and I I I think I always took my white privilege for granted I never really I thought I had what I had because I deserved it, I worked hard, I, I had it. And I never really looked seriously at the problems in the inner city because it, it dealt with a, it was a guy trying to convince a woman to have her brother kill somebody in prison. The, the guy was a financial planner. His wife taught in a, was a volunteer in an inner city school in Philadelphia and she was killed by one of her students. And he was in jail and he wanted to get revenge. In some ways, it was a revenge play, but I think it made me start to really understand institutional racism and also to look at how privileged I am just for being white and that so many of the opportunities I had came because I was white. So I think a play that can impact an audience to first bring something to their attention maybe that they're not aware of, um, to change the way they think about things or the way they look at things. And that play did that to me. I did another play called Sanctions, written by the same playwright, Bruce Graham, which was about a college that was sanctioned by the NCAA for helping black athletes cheat in order to keep them on the football field. Um, it was based on the true story that happened at uh, North Car University of North Carolina. And I, th I worked with Teach for America on that play because I really wanted to understand what these kids come from. I don't know if anybody watched the series Friday Night Lights, but it was a great backstory of these challenge, these kids that are coming from challenging environments that were really at risk and how important sports was to them in order to keep them in school and keep them out of trouble. And I think, I think that play, you know, working on that and understanding where these kids came from and what the challenges that the teachers faced about do I fail them, have them, you know, have to drop out of school, end up in juvie. Um, it, it's, you know, they're the things that I like to sink my teeth into. 
Now, I also, you know, after doing those things, need a breath of fresh air like the one man through governors. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think though that you know now that we're you know looking at programming for next season, we're getting from people that are coming back to the theater. You know, we're not back up to our pre-COVID levels with audiences yet, but I think people today really want to be entertained more than they did a couple of years ago. So we're keeping our fare a little lighter next year and a little more fun than. Um, Who picks the shows? I do usually. I also, but I involve our our staff. I mean, I'm the one that usually I I come up with a you know, 10 or 12 shows that I think would be would work. Um, I want our, our marketing director and our box office manager to uh, make sure that they feel comfortable about how we're going to position those shows and how we're going to sell them. Our box office director, we call our, she's our patron services manager, but she really understands, gets most of the direct feedback from audiences. Production manager weighs in on our ability to deliver the production value on them. So it's it's a joint effort, but I'm usually the one that initiates the plays and that's because i see more and read more and it's my job you, you said you were a tony voter yes for how many years 10 S and you would see 30 plays a year yeah in new york 30 plays a year how, how do you sit in those little seats that many times there's <laughs> <laughs> one thing i remember when i was in sixth grade i saw into the woods with annette benning with my dad oh and my. my my chorus and i loved the show I was enraptured by it, but by the first intermission, I said, I can't go back into that seat. I can't. I have to stand <laughs> somewhere else and watch it because I could. I, I joke, but that's a lot of things. But as Tony right? voters, we get the best seats in the house. <laughs> right, right. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, the producers know we're coming. So um, After, like, 20 shows, are you just like, if I could just get through these last 10? Or do you space them out so there are shows that you want to see versus shows that you have to well, see? Well, I try to you know start early because something's liable to close and still get a nomination mm -hmm. and if you missed it you know then you you actually can't vote in that category if you if they get nominated so i try to you know space them out but then the nominations always came out in the beginning of may and the the le the closing date for a show opening was generally around the middle of april the nominations there's a nominating committee probably about 25 or 30 people they c the nominations are released in May, and then, you know, the Tonys are in the beginning of June. So we'd have till like the Friday before the Tony Awards to get our ballots in. But I would see three or four shows a week those last four weeks because of all the shows that opened in April and the ones that I hadn't had a chance to see. And I'll tell you a funny story. I went to, you know, I would go see two shows, go see a show Tuesday night, two shows Wednesday, come back Wednesday night, and then go back up and see two shows on Saturday. But I saw a show on Tuesday night with my daughter and following day i saw a matinee i had auditions between the matinee and the evening show for a show we were doing here at delver theater company and i ran to the evening show checked my bag because i was going home i asked the box office guy I said Do you have a ticket for bud martin he said no are you a tony voter and i said yeah he said well step aside i'll get you a ticket and i waited and he handed me a ticket and i walked in i sat down i looked at the set and i went oh my god I saw this show last night. <laughs> <laughs> and I went running out of the theater and running next door, and I said, you have a ticket for Bob Martin? He said, yes. <laughs> I took the ticket, and then I, the show started, and it was like a 
play with an intermission, and the one that I had seen that night before, it was 90 minutes with no intermission, and my bag was in that theater. Oh, no. <laughs> so at intermission, I had to run back, you know, run to the other theater, and I pleaded with the box office to let me sneak in the back and go down and let them get my bag so that I could leave after the show. And I'm sure be, being in New York City, they were super friendly, accommodating, <laughs> and went out of their way to run down and get the bag for you. Well, like. they, they <laughs> smuggled me in the back of the theater, and then I, so I could go downstairs and get it. You didn't say, Tony voter coming through. Tony voter coming no. through. Let me let me get my stuff. I feel like anyone who's ever walked into the wrong class in college, like, can completely oh, relate yeah. to that experience of just yeah. like, wait a minute, oh no, this is not. This is not my subject. This is not where. I, how do I get out of here with no one noticing? That's why I always sat closest to the door the first week in case I made a mistake that I could just slide well, out. But if get I'm my bag, if I'm listening to this right now, and I want to be the executive director of Delaware Theater Company. I want to be a director professionally. I want to make a living doing it. What advice would you give them? Go to college. I think, um, you know, sort of my deal with my parents was if I really wanted to go into the theater, I had to go to college and get a college degree because then I would have a college degree as it related to work because theater is such a difficult place to jump in. And if you think about directors, too, it's, you know, you may have a cast of 10 or 20 in a show, but you only have one director. So I think it's, you go to college and, and get your concentration in directing, and then I think the path to follow is um, now, anyway, that wasn't the same when I was there, you know, right out of school, but now there's, there's a very large nonprofit activity in New York, a, a lot of what they call off-off-Broadway because they're small theaters. You can develop shows there without a lot of money, Actors will do them to get seen by agents and possibly other directors and producers. And the off-off-Broadway off contract is theaters under 100 seats. So I would, I would say try to start calling directors and see if you can assist them. It's, it's you know, getting your exposure and working with other directors and trying to get be helpful and be seen and then maybe work with a playwright that you can help get readings of their plays done and then maybe a, you know a, a studio production like we'll do readings of, of new plays before we would put them on because I want to get a sense of what how, what's it sound like and and we invite our uh, subscribers to come see a reading and then we get feedback from them and I, I'll want to do that with a new play before we we put that on and I think Directing readings is a good way to get started. It's not a lot of rehearsal. You don't have to do, it doesn't have any production value, but you as a director still have to work with the actor to get the values of that, those characters, and I think that that's, that's part of what needs to be done. I, you know, I started in, when I was teaching, so I was directing a lot of student work, and then I was directing a lot of college and university stuff before I directed professionally, and I was one of the producing members of my first New York musical that I directed. I co-produced it to get it to create my directing opportunity. So it's, if you're in the position to, you know, to do that, it's not, you don't necessarily have to have money to do that. I think you have to be able to raise a little bit of money or if there's somebody that wants to be involved and can help financially I mean, my first partner on a new musical I did in New York, he co-produced it by virtue of bringing the money that we needed to do the play, and because he had the contacts for the money and wanted to be a part of the play, so... That was his entry fee. Yeah. Talk about the arts landscape in Delaware. You've, you've been here for a decade with the Delaware Theater Company, and before that, teaching. Like, 
I, f- I feel like it's a really good place to enjoy the arts here in, in Delaware. I think it's remarkably good to enjoy the arts. And when you think about the population of Wilmington and the number of performing venues that are constantly, you know, having performances between the Playhouse and the Grand and the Wilmington Drama League and us. And I mean, I, I guess the Wilmington Drama League considers themselves semi-pro, but they, they certainly do good work. The University of Delaware's program um, for professional actors is terrific. They have a great troupe of actors. I think it's really great. Not to mention that the, some of the high schools around here really do, they do great productions. They really do. I, I used to go to the university, or uh, to Cab Calloway, to see their stuff, largely because I was asked if I would go, you know, do a review for the um, news journal. And to, but do the review in a way in which, as an artistic director, I'm trying to, you know, be positively constructive about what was going on and, you know, and the way they put on a production. And they were terrific shows. I was shocked that they were, you know, that it was a high school show. Mm-hmm. Probably because the director could have been a professional director but stayed teaching so, sh- so yeah. he or she could have a consistent income, you know. <laughs> Which you're familiar with. Right. <laughs> How much did your theater background help you to be an investment banker? Was it to- two totally separate parts of your brain or was there overlap? Every day was, was an acting job. It was an acting job, especially, you know, trying to um, convince investors to put money into a project. I would say, you know, I, I, I'd like to think of the, my biggest successes were really the companies that I started. And because, because I had been an investment banker, I was able to get those companies public. And I worked with an investor relations guy one time that said to me, you are the best presenting CEO I've ever worked with. <laughs> And I said, that's because I used to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think there's something to be said. If you're, if you're in business, getting your business degree, you should probably take some acting classes. Well, you know, Leah Iacocca <laughs> wrote a book after he turned Chrysler around, and he actually said that. He said that all the MBA programs should be teaching acting classes. Capital One ask, actually asked me if I would do some executive coaching up there. But it's, um, I think, the, the part of the theater that really helped me as a as a, I'll say, as a CEO and an, and an investment banker was, I could tell the story well, and I could be passionate about it. And I would go to investment conferences where I was presenting, and I would listen to CEOs, and I thought, well, who would buy your stock? You know, it's not it, it, if if you can't get people really excited about what you're doing, then you know why should they buy your stock? And I think that that's what theater did for me as a both as a banker and as a CEO. Do your, are, are your kids or grandkids in the in the theater at all? They've all dabbled, and I would say um, none of them are, are cho- choosing it as a career. My son was a film major, and he was in the film industry for a while, and, and then he was able to parlay some of his knowledge of the software involved in filming to um, once he started having kids and into being able to be a good software programmer, which is what he does. My two daughters are both in the healthcare field. They probably knew... Their, their uh, knowledge. I mean, I guess most of what they had growing up with me, I was actually working in, and and most of the companies that I started were in the healthcare field. Um, but my kids, when they were young, they so I, they did follow in your footsteps. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my um, I remember doing right after I finished teaching at Del Castle, I was asked to direct a couple shows at the old Three Little Bakers, which was mm-hmm. in Kennett Square mm-hmm. at the time. 
and um, I did a show called Plain and Fancy, and so the first scene, since it was supposed to be all these uh, Amish families, I had my three little kids in the first scene, but I only wanted them to be in the first scene so I could take them home and I didn't have to stay and watch the show. Every <laughs> night. But they kept finding their way on into other but scenes. But the food was so good, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. They wanted to stay <laughs> the for the turtle, the turtle bread or something? Is that what um, and then, uh, you know, then the cast was pleading, oh, they have to be able to stay and take a curtain call. So, you know, um, so yes, they were involved early. You, you've been in, in entertainment for years. What have you ever been starstruck? Meeting any any particular directors, writers, actors, producers? That's a great question. Um, the, I guess I was I did nine to five the musical on Broadway, and Dolly Parton was worth getting starstruck about. She, one of the nicest people I've ever met, and certainly so giving and thoughtful to the cast and the people working on the play. As an actor, I would say Laura Linney. She's remarkable, and she's remarkable the way she works. And I remember introducing my wife to her, and my wife said to me afterwards, she made me feel like I was the most important person in the world, you know, or in the room, rather. Um, so she was, I was a little starstruck with her. I remember having to go to a press event with her at one point, and, you know, I said, I'll get a car and pick you up in the morning. She said, oh, we'll take the subway. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was looking, and I was, you know, sitting there with her, and it was... So it was, uh, I'm trying to think about who else from a star perspective. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering how Dolly Parton became this. I know, I know she was a superstar. Right. But I, I feel like now over the past few years, she's kind of transcended this kind of like, over, almost like taken over the Betty White I was going to say, we thing. lost Betty White and now we've and latched kind of on to Dolly Parton. This yeah. Some of thing. it's age, I think. Mom, and she's grandma, done, She's done so much, yeah. you know. Um, Coincidentally, my former company that I sold to Walgreens, we ran the health center and the pharmacy at Dollywood. <laughs> she was so giving and concerned about her employees there and always wanted to make sure that they were doing okay, that they had appropriate health care, that she, you know, she was really quite special about that. So she's always been a very giving person. Kind of the flip side of Brian's question, is there anyone that you've worked with <laughs> no, not that was terrible, <laughs> but that you know maybe they were just starting out or what, and then they've they've blown up. I would say there was a kid that I taught when I was at Del Castle named John Dossett. He actually went to Mount Pleasant High School, but he came to Del Castle for for theater um, for our program, and um, I actually cast him in a musical that I directed in New York, and his career has taken off. He's done. You know, I see him on TV often. He's played the lead in lots of musicals. He's not a movie star and not somebody that you, but he certainly has gone from, you know, watching him as a student. And I always knew that he was special and he was going to go someplace, and, and he did. I'm trying to think. There's a guy that I worked with who early in his professional career who's now on Broadway every season, and that's Rob McClure. And he actually taught in our summer on stage program at, at Delaware Theater Company, and he was in the play the story of my life that I directed, I guess maybe my second or third season here. Um, and Rob is now a major Broadway star. I think I was fortunate to have him in the show early so I could, but he was really, he's really quite special. I take a lot of pride in John. He, John Dossett, he's, you know, to have met him when he was 16 years old. And now when I go to New York and I, you know, call him and we grab lunch or a bite to eat or something and he, every once in a while he, made a mistake and called me Mr. Martin, but um. <laughs> <laughs> I just think about, you know, when I was at the News Journal and, like, Elena Deladon was an eighth grader and everybody knew. 
immediately she was going to be a phenomenal basketball player. If, you know, when you're when you're teaching high school kids, does that light just kind of go off and say, yeah. yeah, this guy's got it? Yeah, that's exactly what happened with John. Great. And Bob Martin, you've had it for 10 years with Delaware Theater Company. I have 10 great years. I'm looking forward to staying involved in a way in which I can be helpful but not run the place. <laughs> you mentioned some of the family benefits. Do you look forward to You've been in the business of theater in many ways the last 10 years. Your job mm -hmm. through tremendous historically challenging times of COVID is to, to balance the books and make sure the theater can survive financially. You're certainly backing away from that now and starting February 1st, you're, you're all about the arts again. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So somebody, we on... I guess on Wednesdays we do what we call a viewpoints before the show for audiences, and I usually do the first Wednesday because it's a preview and it's in the evening. And I, I usually, if if I didn't direct, I'll bring the director of the show into interview, and if I did, I'll usually try to bring one of the design team members in or something. But somebody said to me, uh, the last show, so um, what are you going to miss the most? I said the people. I said that, you know, I, I get to pick the people I want to work with all the time, and that's really, you know, great. I'll miss the people. He said, what are you going to miss the least? I said, fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for everything you've done for our community. Well, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. I've met some wonderful people, and I, um, I, I, I'm – there's a lot of sentiment and emotion about, you know, the uh, not continuing in that role, but I'm just, I, I'm really thrilled that we've got the team in place that I think is going to be able to not just maintain it, but really continue to grow it. And, um, and I'm, I'm close by if they need to call me. Fantastic. <laughs> and if you want to thank Bud Martin for his tremendous services, go see One Man, Two Governors by Richard Bean starting February 1st, running till February 19th at our Delaware Theater Directed Company. by? Bud Martin. Martin. Thank you very much. You got it. Thanks for coming in, Bud. Thanks, Appreciate Bud. you. Thank you.